Hello, this is Zach Cherian. Thank you so much for joining us for our podcast today. We are really excited to bring you this teaching. Please open your heart, and if you can, your Bibles, and receive this word from the Lord, recorded live at Brazen Grace Fellowship. 1 Samuel chapter 16, please. Praise God forevermore. I want to start off with this disclaimer, and I'm not very good at doing disclaimers, but I want to disclaim this. My message for today is called The Worshipping Warrior. The Worshipping Warrior, and it really isn't what you think it is. If you're going to go immediately thinking of a guy worshipping with a sword in his hand and doing the hoopla shandai, it's not. I do want to break up the difference between a worshipper and a warrior. Worshipper implying your spirituality, warrior implying what you do for a living or your secular life. And I, I want to try to bring those two together because I believe in the church world, we've been given a wrong picture of how people should be, especially men. So I want to start off with this disclaimer because I usually spend most of my time in the church explaining to you how much it is not about how much you love God, but it's about how much God loves you. Do you hear me? It is really not. And I know you put the pressure on yourself and we put the commandments on ourselves. And I've heard people say, and I used to preach this too. It's not about the 10 commandments because those have been taken away. But it's the commandments that Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your soul and all your mind. And I would say it's not about the 10. It's about the two now. Amen. And then one day the Lord spoke to me and said, really, you love the Lord with all your heart. Oh, you love the Lord with all your mind. Oh, wait, 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 Jesus, I, th I, thought, I thought that was under grace. And then I realized, no, he's still speaking to the Jews when he's saying that. He was still speaking to people, trying to explain to them, you can't. It is impossible in your own strength for you to love the Lord with all your heart. That means you're so focused on him, you can think another thought, you can think of another thing. Your mind is so set on him, it is impossible. The only way you can fulfill that verse is in Christ. Because Jesus is the only one who loved the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might. Come on now. I don't want us to live, leave here with you, me putting the pressure on you too. Some of you will leave with, oh man, I got to love the Lord with all, all, all. Okay, honey, shut up. Go away. You know, dogs, get out of here. You know, job, go away. I got I to love the Lord with all, all. I got to love the Lord with all my heart. And even if you pretend to get that down, how about that love your neighbor part? You will either leave from here putting a weight on yourself or you leave from here with a false sense of self-righteousness thinking that you actually do love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul and all your strength. And both of those are completely wrong. The truth is it is impossible for you to love the Lord with anything. The only way we can truly worship God is in Christ because in Christ we are complete. Christ loves the Father. Jesus loves the Father with all his heart, with all his might, with all his strength. And therefore, because we are in Christ, we love the Father with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. Come on, are you with me, church? Usually I spend a lot of time trying to explain to you how much it is really about how much God loves you and not about how much you love God. True worshipers, true worshipers are those who respond to an overflow of having received. Your worship is not you trying to conjure up some emotion because God is worthy of praise and so therefore, because God is worthy, I have to. You can never worship God to how much he is worth. Well, let me just give him my five cents. It doesn't work like that, does it? It's an expectation. It's a requirement. That's why when we worship God, we worship God in Christ. And in Christ, our worship to God is complete. That was awesome, Zach. That's a lot better than their shouting. That was an awesome point, man. 
When we understand that it's really not about how much I can love God, it's about how much God loves me. And please, if you're taking notes about worship, write this down. Worship is the overflow of your ability to receive God's love. Worship is the overflow of your ability to receive God's love. Ever been in those churches where they would guilt you into worshiping and you just didn't feel like it? Well, you don't love God. The truth is this, if you can just receive, if you can just receive, you have no other option but this worship to blow out of you. If you can just receive love, it's not about how much you can do, that's religion, church. Any worship that has to do with your doing is religion. Any worship that has to do with your receiving, now that is grace. Any worship that has to do with your doing, what does God get more pleasure out of? You trying to give God or try to live up to God's expectation or you saying, God, I just need you. I just need you. The Bible says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, in the book of Revelation, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they were created. God created you for His pleasure, not so you could try to come up with some ability to try to love God back, but rather just sit in His presence and say, God, I receive your love. I receive your love. And the more of His love you receive, the more you explode with love right back towards Him. Have you ever heard of the people say, we bless you, O Lord, we bless you, O Lord. You going to bless God? How are you going to bless God? With what? How are you ever going to be able to bless God? The only thing you can bless God with is what he's already blessed you with to begin with. To begin with, you hear me? It is always a response back to God of what God has given to us. Come on now. I want to talk to you about 1 Samuel chapter 16. With that said, that it is God who wants to love us. I want to talk to you today about living a life of a worshiper, but balancing it with where God has you. Balancing it with your real life. We live in a culture today when even in the church, masculinity is defined by many different things. And so we tell people what masculinity should be like. And so we tell men, it's not good for you to express. And so men are always, all the men, come on. Right? We don't express. We, we, we are people who are men. We're manly. <laughs> and so when you find a man that happens to be a little expressive, we kind of call them like the governor did, girly men. And so what we see is we see people that come into the house of God and not, I'm not trying to guilt anybody. I'm just telling you because this is how I was raised. This is how we were raised. Men don't do that. Men don't express. Men are all put together. Men got it all together. Women, now they're crazy when They let them go dance around, worship the Lord crazy. But we men, uh-uh. <clears throat> lift up hands. What do you mean lift up hands? The only thing I lift up hands for, brother, is for something else. What do you mean lift up hands? No, lift up hands. I'm a man. We don't lift up our hands. We've created this culture, and, and you've read books about people trying to, and I understand that there is a, a feminization happening, but really, we are so scared of that, that we feel secure reading books about how manly it is to be manly. Let me read you about a real man from the Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 16, a man's man, a good-looking man. He was good-looking. I like this man. In verse number 18, the second part, the lady speaking says, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing the harp. 
a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Let's read that again. I've seen us, the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who plays the harp. The word skillful there is not in the original. Who plays the harp. The implication there is that he is a worshiper. How many of you know playing the harp and war don't usually go hand in hand? These are not two things that usually go hand in hand. And so we separate them and we, we put them aside. You even heard me talk stuff, make fun of the people that are in the praise band. It's usually the guys that didn't make it in the, in the army. And yet here, when you read the life of a man's man, a man of whom God said, a man after my own heart, a man who loves me, a man who's got something that is passionate about me. When God was speaking of David, and it, it speaks, when it speaks about David, he wasn't just a man of war, which is what we know him to be, a king and a man of war, but he was also a man who was a worshiper. And I want to show you the strand that goes throughout the life of David that never changed no matter what he did. When he was in the shepherd, when he was a shepherd boy in the field, he was a worshiper and he had a harp. And there was something about the harp that he played that seemed so insignificant in that moment. But it was that very harp that gave him access into the palace. Your worship will give you access to plays most people will strive and struggle to get into. Your worship will open doors for you that no man can open doors for you. And while you're trying to be a man's man, there is something about your radical, undignified worship that will give you access into place that no person can get in on their own strength. We see David play the harp. Let me ask you this question. What did David play the harp? Just because he wanted a jam? No, obviously, right? Everything about you, the Bible says your very breathing is a worship unto God. You hear me? Your breathing, your very existence is worship unto God. Looking at you is a picture of worship. Why? Because God made you perfectly, creatively, amazing. He made you beautiful. And you might look at your weaknesses. You might look at your shortcomings. But when God sees you, God says you're perfect. David in the eyes of his own father was so useless that he was not even brought forward to be anointed. Have you felt like that? David was so worthless in the eyes of his father, this boy ain't got nothing. You know what's the funny thing? The boy's out in the field killing a lion and a bear. And daddy didn't even know. Because daddy was looking at the outside while God was looking at the... Oh, Lord. There was something about the worship of David that made him the warrior that he was. There was something about the worship of David that gave him access into places nobody else could get into. Your worship is the solution to somebody else's problem. You thought your worship was this cute thing you do when you come to church? When you lift your hands and sing two fast songs and two slow songs? You thought your worship was what you do when you come here and all of a sudden we can just you know, do a little cutesy thing and then the songs stop and you go back to your seat like worship is over. You know, worship is still going on right now. Do you know worship is still going on right now? Do you know you're worshiping? You know why? Because you're breathing. On this day when the whole world celebrates love and expressions of love, I'm amused how men can even express to the one they love, but they can't ever express to God. Why is that? 
What is it that we have been taught that has told us that men don't do things that way? What is it about us that we separate our worship and our warrior? <laughs> what is it about us that we keep our worship separate? That's my private life. But then there's the warrior in me. The day I go to work every day, I work hard for my family, I earn money for my family, I go to school, I go to teach, I go make money, I do a lot of things. That's my warrior life. There's only one problem. That separation was never allowed in the Bible. And so we even come to church with that mind. Okay, I'm going to church, so let's get holy. So you're praying in tongues as you drive up here. Why? Because you're preparing your heart for worship. You were preparing your heart last night too. Or Friday night. Or Thursday. You were constantly worshiping. I want to break that barrier, that wall that we have created that divides our worship from our war. I want us to understand that your solution to your job that you are freaking out about, my boss hates me, my world is falling apart, I got sick in my body, I got stuff happening to me. The solution to your problem in your war is your praise and your worship. And what we have done is we've separated it. So we, we work hard on Monday through Friday. We struggle and we give it our best shot. And then Friday we come and go, okay, God anoint me to go do what I did Monday through Friday again. It wasn't about God anointing you. It was God saying, can I come be a part of your life? The Lord rebuked me the other day when I was teaching some of my leaders. And I said, God wants to be first in your life. God wants to be first in your life. And God spoke to me and said, I don't want to be first in their life. I said, what? Seek first the kingdom of God. I don't want to be first in their life. He says, I want to be there all in all. So you know what we do? We make God first and all the other junk too. Oh, but God is first. Isn't that all that matters? No, that's not all that matters. God wants to be a part of your two, your three, your four, your five, your six, your ten, your a hundred. God wants to be part of your whole life. He doesn't want to just be this one, you know, just put that statue on the top of there. Just put that statue and go do whatever you want. You see, that's how y'all are shocked that I'm saying this. That's how you live your daily life too. Well, in my heart, God's first. God's not trying to be first. He's trying to be your all in all. You can't separate your life, your career. And with this, I remember when I used to say things like, you know, I'm not going to be in the secular. That's all secular, God. That's all secular. And God is like, there is nothing secular. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's all mine. And I know we, we even grew up with that fear of secular music. Oh, God. Oh, God. I used to, you know, remember the youth camps? When you burnt your CDs every year? What did you do two weeks after those youth camps? Don't lie. What did you do two weeks after the youth camp? Go back and buy the same thing you burned. I mean, uh, people, people ask me, preacher, you don't believe in secular music? No, I don't. Do you believe in bad music? I do. How do you know music is bad? I don't know. Listen to the lyrics. We try to separate it and what we enter into is this Gnostic world of Christianity where all spirit is holy, all matter is un unholy. And so we separate these two things and we, one, either one of them say, well, since we're in this matter fallen world, let's just go crazy sinning. Licentiousness. Or you go to the other end where you're like, oh, touch me not, touch me not. Oh, don't touch me. You're holy. You're unholy. I'm holy. You're unholy. Whoa, don't touch me. You're going to defile me. Don't touch me because I'm holy. I'm holy. You see how we walk around? Kind of looks like people, don't eat this, don't touch this, don't do that, don't do this. Then we walk around on tiptoe in this world. Like. You know, you're always, Bible says to him that's able to keep you from falling. You're not supposed to be scared of falling all the time. You know why you fall? Because you're scared of it. 
that which you fear is what will come upon you. This is really important that you understand. Break that wall that you have created that separates your secular from your sacred. The everything belongs to God. All of it, including your job. God wants to be so part and parcel of your life. Can we follow David for just a little bit? David used the same anointing that was on him to worship as he did for war. That same anointing to play the harp is what he did, listen to me, to put Saul to sleep. And it was the same anointing that was on him that put Goliath to sleep, if you know what I mean. David would go into Saul's house. When we read verse number 12 or verse number 13 of, of chapter 16, you see, Then Samuel took the horn of the oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. Now watch this. Was the Spirit of God not on David before that? Of course it was. Why? Because he killed a lion and a bear. With his bare hands and he says, the Holy Ghost anointed me to tear the enemy. When it came to attack my sheep, I went and I ripped the lion apart. Have you tried that? You're going to take the anointing. Have you been around a bear? Where's my Seattle folk? Y'all been around a bear? <laughs> Have you ever been around one of these giant animals? It's going to take something that is more than your strength to take that down. So obviously he was anointed. So what is this spirit that it's talking about? The spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. It's talking about the spirit to become king. It's talking about the anointing to be king. So here is David who is now not just anointed from his intimacy. There's an anointing that comes on your life from your intimacy with God. Your private prayer life, your private worship life will bring a power on you that will take down every bear, every lion you can imagine. Amen? But then there comes an anointing that God will bring you on you to rule and reign. And that's the anointing we operate in. Amen? To rule and reign. What's the problem? There's another king in power. You are anointed to rule and reign, but there's another king in power. There's only one problem. The spirit of God has left that king. And how do you operate when you have a king that is now not rightfully anointed by God to be king, but he is still in power? What do you do? You walk in there and say, you dirty, nasty devil, I'm the king now. Huh? Huh? Huh, church folk? Huh, kingdom people? What do you do when there's another illegitimate king in power from whom the Lord has taken away the spirit and now anointed you to be king? What do you do when you work for a boss that you are a lot better than? What do you do when you work for a supervisor who's terrible and the only reason he looks good is you? What do you do when you work for somebody? Go around and tell everybody how much Saul sucks. Can you believe that guy got a spirit? He got a demon on him. He got a demon on him. And I'm the one who goes and delivers him. Because I am anointed. Are you listening to me? What does David do? David goes to deliver the very guy who is in his place. David goes into Saul's palace to minister peace to a man. 
You know what the rest of us would have said? Well, since the Holy Ghost left him, who am I to minister to him? Since the Spirit of God has been removed from him, why should I minister to him? Beloved, there is something about honor. You have to hear me today. Brazen Grace, this church is not a church which willy-nilly do whatever, go wherever. This is a church of honor. And I don't care how much you respect the person sitting next to you or behind you or not. My Bible tells me to think of them better than you think of yourself. To honor them better than you honor yourself. To respect them better than you respect yourself. This is a church with a culture of honor. This is not a church where anything goes, everything goes. No, there is an order in this church. There's a way we do things. There's a culture of honor in this place. And we have to understand that. Why? Because honor is the key for you walking into your next level. Why isn't the promotion coming? Maybe it's an honor problem. I've been working so hard. I've been working so hard. Hard work is not the key to your promotion. Honor is. Hear me carefully now. God, to honor you, has to put you in the bedroom of your enemy. And you have every opportunity to take him out. And when you do, you'd be king. And yet, what do you do? I'm going to minister peace to him. I'm going to minister peace to him. What was it on him that allowed him to minister peace to the king? It was his worship. As he would start to play the harp... As he would start to play the harp, that spirit that was upon Saul would leave him. And the spirit of God would come into the room. And David would lullaby Saul to sleep. I don't know if you can hear the word I'm preaching today. If you would like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can repeat this simple prayer with me right now, wherever you are. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you as I am and receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying for me. I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is my Lord. I am yours forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today for this teaching. We would love to hear from you. You can write us at ZCIM PO Box 592675, San Antonio, Texas 78259. For more information on ZCIM, please visit us at ZCIM.org or on Facebook and Twitter at ZCIM Official. God bless you.